you're listening to Inside the Ecosystem podcast, bringing you fun and insightful topics about tech and uh, ecosystem in Nigeria. My name is Imano, and I'm joined by my co-host Chuka. Um, Imano, did you did you just forget our intro? <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow. I, I think I think the reason why it happened is because we're due for a new one. What do you? Uh, oh, no, why? Why? What's what's wrong with the current intro? <laughs> I mean, you know, we have to grow, we have to mm, change stuff. It would, you know. It would. <laughs> yeah. So in today's episode, we're actually really excited because we are bringing someone, someone that has a very large reputation on this podcast. <laughs> actually, <laughs> someone, actually. Someone who, who spiked our listeners. Like, mm-hmm. when this guy came on the show, our listener count just increased drastically. And I don't I, know what he was saying, you Honestly. Just, you know what's funny? Just like I, that. I've not gone back. I've not gone back to listen to that episode. But that episode has one of the most listens on the show for some reason. So this guy is a celebrity on this podcast, and we show him so much respect. Yeah. So obviously, uh, if you follow the podcast well, you you likely guess which episode it is. Uh so nobody can nobody can guess. <laughs> Tochuku became the name. He's our um, guest for this episode. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself again to old listeners and, and new to new listeners? <laughs> for a second time. Yeah. For a second time. And now you're, you're a bigger boy now, so you have to add the bigger boy status. You're not the boy you were, you were on the last episode you came on, which was how many years ago? Two years ago, yeah? Wow. Oh my gosh, seriously, two years. Yes, yes. two years ago. <laughs> this really makes it interesting. Oh, but after how many months of sabbatical? <laughs> what, what did you say? <laughs> after how many months of sabbatical? Yeah. Uh, for us and for you. Yeah, for uh, us, it yeah. has been just one month this time. Just one month. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Tochiko in Kemzulim. Um, currently working as a software engineer in Luminovo, specifically doing everything related to like Rust and more emphasis on like backend engineering. Um, yeah, but I'm really happy to like be on this podcast. The last time, um, it was really nice. Like, I mean, I even learned a lot even though I was on like speaking, right? Um, <laughs> and I'm back to like be here again. Um, with Chika, our Nice. Um, so in case you guys don't know, my name is also Awo. Or my nickname is Awo. Yeah. Just put it Awo that where? Okay. Yeah, we, we we established that a lot of a lot when? of times. I don't think Look, so we're glad to have that. you back here, man. For real. Yeah, the first yeah. I will, this is not about you. So <laughs> you're the first person that has been on the podcast and has come back for a second episode. So this is your Round two, fight. Let's yeah. go. Let's get it. <laughs> and for people that have come before, if Tox can come back, that means you are not too big. You can also come back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that, that's one. And he came back. Yeah, that's, that's, that's nice. We obviously cannot continue until we catch up. Uh, we, the first episode was in 2020. And this is 2022, and that's like two years apart. So let us know what you've been up to the past two years. Hmm. So that's, that's actually like quite an interesting 
question. Uh, so I think last time I was previously working in Kudi, which was like a fintech, doing everything related to like fintech and building like integration. Kudi is now number, by the way. Oh yeah, Kudi is now number. I mean, like old habits. I have, I have, I have a question. I have a question. Please, what inspired that name? I don't know. Like, I mean, uh, I left after, after like Cody. Um, I left before the name changed. So, like, I mean, we have to bring the CEO to this podcast because I have many questions. <laughs> number, number <laughs> what? Number what exactly? No, no. I think for me personally, I don't really know the decision. But if I were to say, if I were to give like what I feel might have been erased, which might not be correct, it would be probably because of conflicting names between Kudi and Koda. Like, I personally, whenever I speak to people and I say I work in Kudi, everyone thinks it's Kuda. Right? But, I mean, it might be wrong. But, like, there's nobody who knows Kudi, right? But everybody knows Kuda, and so they just mix up both. Mm-hmm. Please continue. Yeah. Your... yeah. Okay, so, like... Um, yeah, I was working in Kudi doing basically building quite a lot of things related to like, like, to like financial services and reconciliation, chatbacks, all of those kind of fintech um, techno- um, technologies and the rest. Um, but like, I mean, I wanted to like try something new, um, specifically on Rust. Um, I was really happy like while I was still at Kudi, um, we started using Rust uh, when I started writing Rust in Kudi. And I mean, it has always been like my goal to like write trust like full time and everything. Um, and yeah, so I was like looking for like new opportunities and everything, specifically on Rust. And yeah, I came across like Lumnovo, focused on like the electronic space, basically accelerating like that entire like transition. Um, if you are familiar with the electronic space, you would know that there's a lot of existing practices that oftentimes haven't changed for years. Like for example, if you go to like um, an EMS factory, right? You would see that some of the software that are running there are still like pretty, pretty much old, and uh, they are used to manufacture like more recent like um electronic stuff. But like that's because like things don't really, really change when it just works. So like basically, what we've been doing has been building like um software to specifically SaaS products to like um enable like that gradual. That's to accelerate that transition, basically. Um, yeah, and it's been going really good. I've been doing like quite some interesting things. I currently work on the manufacturing team, and emphasis on manufacturing team is that we help like estimate in terms of like time and cost, how long it takes to, like manufacture electronic components. So, for example, you want you um, let's say company A wants to manufacture a PCB, right? They would often reach out to like uh, another company and like say or a manufacturing company in this case that EMS and would say oh want to manufacture this how much will it cost and how long will it take to manufacture this thing um, so um, what I pre- presently do has to like do with that um, in terms of like getting like quotations that process generally takes like two weeks right but now it takes like you can do it like within like 10 minutes or less yeah, so quite interesting things. Wow, two weeks to ten minutes. Yeah, that's that's, that's a lot of optimization. That's interesting, man. That, that, that's that's yeah. something you probably want in uh, microservice systems. 
<laughs> I think so, right now, I have like, I mean, let's not talk so much about my services, but I have my perspective about that. Like, I think it is a boss term that I'm not really psyched about it any longer. I've been bought, but I mean, that's three for another time. Huh? <laughs> 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 only talks, only talks does not buy into the boss. I love it. I love it. Yeah. This episode, uh, we're going to be talking about like a topic that it's, it sounds a bit um, ironic, but hear us out. So we're going to be talking about like the positive side of context switching. Uh, context switching is something that you do when, let's say you're working on a project, you switch to a different project that is not related. So it means like your brain has to like, adjust to the new environment, the new um, technologies and new things, right? Uh, most times when people talk about context switching, they're talking about it as a as a bad thing, as something that, that happens when you have too many things to do, or something that negatively affects your focus time or something that affects your productivity. Uh, but today, we're going to be taking a look at the positive side of context switching and um, who is like, who better to invite than Tochiku, who uh, learned uh, Rust while like having a full-time job at Kudi, right? And eventually spent more time. I think you spent more time on Rust than any other language, even if you were doing a nine to five in other languages. And eventually that became, yeah, eventually that became a stepping stone for the current job he has now. So, yes, Tochiku is like the best person to talk about this. I was very, it's interesting to see when Tokes is passionate about something because it feels like that's all he talks about. <laughs> and then if he if he finds anybody that cares to listen, oh you're in trouble. Imagine you cough. Imagine you cough and he mistakenly hears Ross. Did you just say Ross? Oh, let me just tell you this language is insane. You need to know. So yeah, having talks talk about things that he's passionate about is always always makes for a great episode. So looking forward to it. Yeah. So we're gonna actually start by um you like telling us what you think context switching is and what it means to you. Okay, so like I, I feel like um when like people say context switching, I feel like there are different levels of context switching, to be honest. There's con I would say context switching on a short scale, short term scale. Like for example, you are working on an important tax and someone comes and interrupts you. I would say that is like um, I don't know the right words to like use, but I will kind of like call it like call it like maybe like uh shots. I don't know probably I don't know what name to give it, right? But like there will be that kind of context switching, and there will be a context switching where it's um you you you're done with like um important like what you're meant to do, and then you have other things that also like a strong priority to you, right? So like that's kind of like where I would see like context switching, and not just only. Um, just specific specific to like what you're doing at this time and someone interrupts you because I feel like several times when people like mention context switching that is often what they're referring to and there's still like other aspects of like context switching that you can like benefit from I mean even on the short scale there are still good benefits of people interrupting you I mean, I mean so, <laughs> yes to be honest like there's still good benefits I think of I have a perfect example for it yeah because like, I don't know about others, but like if an engineer, if I'm with an engineer, right, um, discover something new, right? And it's like, God, and he's blown away. And he comes at that point and tries to tell me, I could have missed out of that information. And he may never have communicated that to me again. 
right? Um, as compared to like, so yeah, I feel like there are trade-offs for it. If the benefit of the interruption outweighs the um, the distraction, right? Exactly. I mean, it's I would say it's a really kind of positive context switching. <laughs> mm. That's that's actually a good way to measure if something is um, good good or not. So makes sense. Just like when well, how, sometimes how, how you have can to take pain. How can you tell? I think it's usually after the fact. So you have to actually experience it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's a, that's a very good benchmark there. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, but I, I guess like over time, when you've had like multiple instances, you would eventually know. For instance, even the argument of, um, even the argument of I will never, like let's say if somebody doesn't interrupt me, I will never have known about this. It might not really be a good way to, because there's so many things that you will never have known about as long as you don't know it, you won't know it. Like, you will never know. You won't know that you did not yeah. know it. Exactly. Do you get yeah. <laughs> But because you now know it, you start making comparisons. Like, ah, what if I didn't know it? You know, yeah. there are a lot of things that our parents, for instance, did not know. And it didn't hurt them because they didn't know they didn't know it. <laughs> it's just yeah. now that we're telling them, ah, you didn't know this thing. And it's not pretending that they wish they knew. So that's also something. Yeah. So it means for context switching, there's like, it depends on the size of it or like the duration. How how long are you switching for and what kind of task you are switching for, right? Yeah. And also to like chip in, I don't know. I think people would have noticed this that I look we are always on contradicting opinions quite a number of times. And like people would see us <laughs> arguing, right? Oftentimes, I mean in public WhatsApp group, but like we're really mm. close, like inside. But like I feel for me. I really love doing that with Luke. And I mean, if you speak with Luke, you see that Luke is this kind of person that knows a lot, right? And I do that so that I want to see what this guy knows. So that I can, <laughs> right? Yes. I like, yes that's, well, that's, there are many stats that he shows me and I'm like, oh gosh, I never knew about that. And I go and I read about it or uh, Luke mentioned this thing and it's part of what I'm supposed to learn, right? So I love doing that. Even though people will look at it as you spend how many hours arguing with Luke, but they don't know that the reason I'm arguing with Luke is because I want to know what Luke knows that I don't for, know. For people, for people that don't know Luke, Luke was on the show. Uh, <laughs> he's the, um, he's the, what's Non-technical the guy. Now? Yeah, he's the non-technical guy in tech. I what think he's the most generalist person you probably know. Probably. Like, probably with the like, <laughs> uh, I think this episode is going to lead us to talk about some psychological stuff like how the brain learns things so like there are usually two stages or two states that the brain is um, learning active learning and i think diffuse learning like when you're passive so context switching right in the case where you said you maybe make arguments with look right your brain is in the passive state where you are passively um, getting information but you think you're not learning but your brain is actually like getting into the deepest part of your of your memory to like join things together. So the information you think you don't need today, your brain will need to use it in the future when it's passively learning. So it's really interesting to see it play out. Yeah, that's that's very, very true. I think sometimes like it's, I was speaking with someone, I was like, there are many things that we learn and we forget. And then when we have conversations, you find out that so many of those things come up. And then you might even find out that the more you speak about these things, the more it like gets ingrained in your memory, and the more you will have like deeper understanding of like those concepts. Like, yeah. So I think 
personally, if you want to like learn something, just frequently break it up in conversations. You would always get interesting insights from other people about it. I think David suffered my hands when I was. Uh, I think I I spent like two days out of my holiday, uh, at your place. Uh, I think two days on so. No, 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 like <laughs> three or four days. <laughs> yeah, comedian. No, no, it was, you it spent one week in week. my house. It was, it was up to a week. week. I can't remember. I don't think it was up to a week. It was not I think it was September. Up to a week. You had you it had was, two weeks. It was, you spent one week in my house. I don't think it was up to. Okay. One. Anyways, if it wasn't one week, not, then maybe five important. or six days. It wasn't yeah, two that's days. Not, that's not important. Anyways, during that period, <laughs> I was like preparing for. <laughs> I was preparing for interviews, right? So all the concepts I was learning, like system design concepts, like basic and um, programming concepts, I would disturb. I would just start telling Chuka about it. Even if I know that maybe he's not interested, but it doesn't matter. I'll just tell him, do you know how images are stored in the computer? I'll just start I explaining it. <laughs> I'll start explaining it because I will remember the explanations because there are more interactions I've had with that concept in my, my, uh, in my brain. So, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. So before we dive in more into the positive sides of context switching, like using your example, um, Let's just put a disclaimer and talk about like the negative so that people will know uh, that we're not being biased on the positive side. Some of the negative um, parts of, of context switching. I'll give examples. Chuka, you can also give examples and jokes, of course. So an example is context switching um, is costly in terms of productivity. If you're working on something and you get interrupted, it takes a longer time for you to get back to that thing because you your brain like has to settle into that environment. And if you're in the knowledge industry, people that work on creative stuff, like you're not doing a simple task, it means it means that um, it's going to take a longer time. So if I'm writing code, right, and I'm fixing a bug, or I'm working, working on a feature, uh, somebody interrupts me, before I can get back to coding, I'll have to like start loading things back into my memory, like the way a computer does. I'll start loading all the variable names that I was arguing with my brain to, to pick. I'll start loading all the context of the problem I'm trying to solve, which would take more time. So yes, uh, context switching in that sense uh, is, is negative. So you guys can also give more examples. Yeah, so like I feel like also, like you mentioned, I think that's like the major factor or the major like um, con, right? Um, where like you kind of like drift away and before like you can like, settle and everything i think another thing also is like um it's kind of like if if you're the kind of person who likes to plan out your day right like for example that's me right so like i don't necessarily have like an explicit to-do list of what i'm meant to like do the next day but like what i always do is like before i like sleep at night or something i kind of like go think about like all the tasks i was doing the day before what are things i didn't finish Right, and I plan out in my head what I'm meant to do, like the next day. And okay, this is the first story I work on. I'm, I'm hopeful I can finish this in like one hour or two hours, right? And then all of this. So I have all these things planned in my head. And the next morning, I start working on those things, right? Mornings are not always like so productive for me because I have meetings in the morning. And if I come out of that talking zone into working zone, it takes a while. So I try to do, do most of. Do you my- like meetings? I don't think there's any engineer that likes meetings. That likes meetings. Like, I, mean, I think engineering <laughs> managers might like meetings. <laughs> Maybe. Because that's how they do. <laughs> oh, wow. 
Yeah, you know, that's all. Most most of the guys, see, my engineering manager spends a large amount of time in meetings, and that's that's because that's his job, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, true, true. I mean, then I think I, I also picked up something from what you said, um, about so in in another negative cause of um context switching is you, um, it teaches your brain a bad habit. Right, because yeah. when you get interrupted, yeah. sometimes you like it. For instance, let's say you're working on a difficult problem, right, and somebody interrupts you. You're like, thank God, you saved me from this anxiety, right? So your brain gets used to that that vibe of okay, I need interruption, and that's where you start creating new interruptions for yourself, like picking up your phone or just standing up or start doing something so random that distracts you from your actual work. So that's another thing. Yeah, true. That's very true. I agree with you. I mean. Like, with respect to, like, that, if you're not, like, really, like, careful, you find out that things, you it just become, like, sort of, like, a nature for you to, like, just um, embrace, like, distractions unconsciously. I think, I mean, there was a point that I noticed it. So I feel it's very important for, like, people to, like, constantly, like, review their work ethics and, like, see if, like, what is taking, like, a bunch of their time. Like, for example, for me, there was a point in time I noticed that, oh, gosh, I'm spending, I open, so I don't, I'm not like so many social media, like I have very little social media presence, right? But like, I open Gmail and LinkedIn a lot, probably more than any other app, right? And, and I was like, God. Are you hearing this guy? Yeah. Very on brand. It sounds like Tooks. Yeah, sounds and like... GitHub. Yeah. And, so like, and GitHub, of course. GitHub, Tochuku should be star boy. Because as I open my GitHub feed, I see, yeah. Okay, so I think why why style projects? Like, I mean, that's probably another discussion for another time, right? Like so like I feel yeah, the more the more you expose yourself to different projects that people work on and what people work on, do, the more you broaden your horizon of ideas you can generate, basically. So that's why go it really depends. <laughs> no, I don't this think is so. Opens LinkedIn. So what do you think? <laughs> So I feel I feel like it it boils down to like your priority, right? Over I think yeah, in the last episode or so we talked about like information um yeah, about yeah. So like you need to know exactly what you want to like work on specifically, right? Like for example, I don't know if you guys use this feature on GitHub stars that allows you to star into categories. So like I have categories for project ideas, categories for compilers, categories for all these things. So when I'm starting project. I'm grouping them into all those things so that whenever Man, I, I'm I want very to sure you don't know that existed. I'm very I'm sure. not really a star boy. I'm not neither, a star boy. Did, neither did I. I did not know that existed. <laughs> Thank you so much. I said I'm a stargazer. I look at what I started. So there's this repo I recently found out. It's called Trendy Repos. So you can select what, like you, you, you can say, I want to know the trending um, Kotlin projects of this week. I want to know the, uh, the, the trending um, JavaScript projects, whatever language. So I, I subscribe to that. And that's because I don't really, I'm not the guy that goes to GitHub to go and search. I'd rather get notified about something that is happening via email or something. So that's going to help me become a star boy. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For star boys. Um, yeah. So, like, I mean, so back to like what I was like, also like saying as regards like context switching, right? I, I so I'm kind of like very orderly, 
like when it comes to like what I'm supposed to do. And so if I come the next day and things that I didn't plan for the night before begin to come up, like for example, someone messages me, hey, the build is down, hey, this is down, or something is down. That's, like, that's uh, going yeah, like it just messes up with my brain. I'm like, gosh, no, this is not what I planned today at all. And I noticed at the end of the day, I, I when I look at what did I do that was tangible, I'm like, I can't place my finger on anything that I did today that was tangible. And at the end of the day, what I try to, I now do is because I need to like complete this task that I set out sometimes and then work like extra hours when everybody's like offline. So I think for me, that's like one of the major reasons why I kind of like start my major work in the afternoons. Because I mean, I know that's so all I that's, would. That's so different. Yeah. I, I can't work in the afternoons. <laughs> I prefer afternoons than mornings. Like I, I push I mean, my meetings afternoon. I prefer meetings in the morning. Because let me just have every meeting. I know that all the things that can distract me are done for. And then I start like in the afternoon working to... Because I know I will work like extra hours, so I start like in the afternoon. And that's okay. So I wouldn't say that extra hours per se, because I mean in the mornings I wouldn't be like productive. So from that five to like roughly eight, right? It covers up for like the time I would have used in the morning instead. Right. So I use that time to like do work because I know nobody will be messaging me at that point in time. Yeah, that's so, that's, that's true. Because you don't work in Nigeria now. <laughs> but yeah, apparently, it's not necessarily only a Nigerian thing, though. I know, I know it's, it's, it's common yeah. with small economies. Any of them to give the <laughs> ecosystem small uppercuts, you know. I always think. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tochiko is going to talk about the pros, and from there, we'll now actually jump into Rust. So, you have the floor. Okay, like, I mean, for, for the pros, there are quite a couple of positive things. So, like, uh, like I mentioned earlier, like, you have to consider it on a short-term scale and on a long-term scale. What I mean by long-term scale is, like, probably one-third of your day or two-third of your day. So, for, like, short time frame, like, you're working on something and someone interrupts you and, like, hey, I'm working on this problem, right? And the person's like, this is it. And probably you've never solved that type of problem before, right? And you guys begin to, like, discuss about it, whoever you and the other person begins to, like, discuss it. And you begin to bounce off ideas and probably something you've never solved, right? It's an opportunity for you to learn something new. I love this kind of thing, especially, like, um, at work, where I love speaking, like, people from other teams because... I mean, in your own team, you necessarily know what your team does, right? But periodically, I try to, like, ask my colleagues, right? Like, hey, what are you guys working on, right, on your team? And because, I mean, I want to, like, know more and all those kind of things. So if that was the case for for someone else, right, and the person would like to interact with me and try to bring, okay, I'm experiencing this problem with my team, right? Um, and this is exactly what I'm facing. Like, someone has done it to me at work, and I really learned a lot. Um, from, about like things from your own end, right? So I feel at the end of the day, I feel you have to weigh the benefits, right, um, of the interruption compared to like what you're working on, right? You would have just missed this and you probably don't know about it again in probably X amount of years when another engineer brings it up, right? Or you can sacrifice like temporary um, interruption for like temporary interruption that will take roughly an hour, right? And you learn something new. Um, 
So that's a way to like look at it. But obviously that doesn't mean, you know, you then go and be interrupting all your colleagues and like be saying, oh, I want them to learn something new. I mean, everybody wouldn't be happy with it, even though people don't tell you. So, but I mean, if you see that it's something that is very interesting, that you feel like people can benefit from, I mean, um, what you can do would be like, I mean, you can just like let the person know. I think a proper way to like do it would be notifying about the interruption beforehand. Like, okay, um, this one will be free for like 15 minutes, right? I have this thing I'm trying to work on. I can we bounce ideas around. It's sort of context switching. It's just that you allow the person then to prioritize things ahead of time, right? For that context switching, right? Um, okay, yeah. You know, I'm going to like just confess a little bit here. So going to be honest. So like, like for entry, yeah, yeah, entry, entry into this episode, I actually thought, you know, I should have actually done my research. I apologize, guys. Entry into this episode, I actually thought context switching would be more of, oh, you are like, you are a CSS guy, and then in the middle of your day, say you run two jobs, you have to switch to writing Node.js. and that's right? valid also. Yeah, that's valid, right? Okay, but we, we've not really talked about that aspect okay. of context switching because in my mind, that's the biggest context switching of that of them all. Because I remember, even right now, although it's still same JavaScript, but like sometimes I have to shuffle between writing React and writing Vue, and it's not exactly the same um, method of writing. So like when I come to a Vue project, I have to sit down and say, ah, okay, so props go here <laughs> <laughs> and. And this goes here, and then I have to calm down. I say, okay, let's get into it. Or I'm switching from Python because I actually started as a Python guy, coming to write um JS on the backend side for a little while. I didn't really do it that much, just for a little while. And then some things were annoying me, like why can't I just write range to give me a bunch of numbers that range? I couldn't do that. It was so annoying. So I, I was thinking <laughs> we'd talk more about okay, context switching in that sense and. I'm sorry this sounds more developer-focused, but it's what I'm used to. So I'm very sure other people, other careers can relate to it. And where, um, to it where, uh, you know, it's uh, switching from like, your complete day job. Like, for example, um, Manuel mentioned you working full-time at Kobe, then doing Rust, learning Rust, and doing, like, how does that, you know, what, what aspects of context switching is that? Can you talk a little bit more about it? Okay, yeah, so I mean, that that's very valid, right? Like, you're working on something, a technology, and then you have to switch between another technology. So, personally, one thing I try to do um, is to know exactly, like, the scope I will be working on, right? I'll explain what I mean by that. So, like, for example, I've been writing, I write Rust literally every day. The only language I know that I write by the side is TypeScript, which I haven't written, like, in probably months or so. So like right now, everything in my head is Rust and probably I don't write any app. I'm a bit Rust in like writing other languages, right? Hey. Um, That's a good one. That's a good hey. one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't notice that. <laughs> That's a good one. I'm sure you've been waiting to use that for a long time. Congratulations. <laughs> probably just my subconsciousness or something. <laughs> yeah. But like you look at all those kind of things and there are different things that you have to work on, right? I think one thing to like do, I think this is also something that is important in every engineering team, right? 
you as um, probably um, you're managing a couple of engineers, right? One of the things that you should pay attention to is try not to introduce like too many like technologies into your overall engineering stuff. Like I see people do this okay quite a lot, quite a number of times, and people are like after like boss technologies and everything. But many times, why why do people introduce like these boss technologies? In quotes, they are like to optimize to drain out as to get as much performance as possible. But the question should, people should like, ask themselves is: This performance really needed at this point in time? Are we ever going to experience like the real benefit of this performance in the long run? People don't worry that, right? But I mean, if you're working in a company that already has that, a smart approach to do it would be if we'll be like scheduling like um those kind of tasks that have to do with maybe you're writing React, it's like schedule certain block of hours for each write and then schedule on that block of R for continuous work in that thing. So I'll give an example. Um, while I was working um, in Kudi, right, I mean, I write um, t- I write mainly Java, JavaScript, and Rust and Python as well. I did most of those things. But like, um, because like our stories oftentimes might work, might have to be with specific kind of services, right? So for a particular story or something, I might mainly use Java or one specific language for it. And if I need to add like something else into another service, I wouldn't write much code. But outside work, I was writing lots of TypeScript, like for my personal stuff and everything. So um, it, it because the, the fact that I was spending block of hours, right, at, at night writing TypeScript, right, and during the day I was writing more Java, right, my brain was still fresh. Um, with both sides of things, right? But um, I remember when I now needed to like, okay, before we started writing Rust at work and I needed to write Rust outside work, it took me a bit of time for my brain to like catch up. But I mean, if you're writing these things continuously, like every single day, I feel like your muscle sort of like picked up, right? But when you try to now pick up something else, that's going to be challenging. So I think the tip for me would be like giving blocks of time to certain technologies, right? And um, like when another time time block again um, to another technology. So I think that would be a smart way to like go about it. I mean, that's what I would do personally. Yeah. Thanks for that answer. Then also in terms of like the con the context switching, uh, context switching can also be imposed and voluntary. So the, I think the positive one is the voluntary one. While the imposed one is a negative one, the imposed is you're working on um something and then somebody tells you, "Oh, can you help me do this?" That's imposed. It means now you have to like switch. But if it's voluntary, that's when you you are in control. Then you can actually like um set the block of time that okay, I'm going to do this, do that. Uh, yeah. So in that sense, um, imposed context switching always most times is negative. Yeah. That's very true. Very true. Yeah. So a disclaimer now. Um, we've talked about like context switching in the general sense, and uh, so now we want like dive deep into Rust. So Rust is a programming language, and it's going to get a little technical. And uh, so, uh, sit back and relax and enjoy. <laughs> so Rust, okay. the language, right? Um, what is it, right? And why 
Like, why is it? Now, why okay. do black people need to know about Ross? Yes. What What is Ross and what is it about? Like, is it the future? Is it Is it something that is revolutionary? Like, what exactly makes it Ross? Everything is the future, Emmanuel, in this type of system. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Yeah. The future is the Web3. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about um your experience with Rust. Um when were you learning Rust on the site? And how did you like how did you envision that okay, eventually this is what I'm going to write full time? And how like how did you navigate um let's say, you know, people people tend to spend a lot of time learning something and they might not be like they might not be practical with themselves and then eventually they don't ever use it, right? But in your case, you were able to learn this and also eventually use it as like as something you use in your office or at your work, right? So how did you navigate um the period between learning and actually implementing these things that you learned? Uh okay. So I started learning Rust in twenty seventeen. Yeah. Um I was still a student at that time. And funny enough, I Did used you say to... twenty seventeen. Yeah, Ross was very early. Ha! Ah, well, talks yeah. is actually my boss. So. No, I'm not. I'm not. I ah, know talks. If only I can no. touch the hem of your garment. Ah, <laughs> no, <it's> not... <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Um, yeah. So like, I mean, I started writing Ross like in twenty seventeen. Like, I used to be a C sharp guy and everything back then. I mean those golden days of C-sharp, right? And, yeah, like, for me, I I knew, like, most of what I wanted to do was related to, like, low-level systems, like robotics, um, um, OS, databases. Like, I knew all those low-level things I wanted. So those are the things that I was really passionate about. So I was, in short, I was passionate about performance, anything to optimize performance, um, scaling up systems, like, Running heavy loads on, on like maybe um, limited resources, those kind of things, basically, right? And so, like, I knew that um, I what I needed to learn was C plus plus, right? But like, the the problem was, um, it was broad. I didn't have, I didn't know exactly how to start. I remember before I came to see you, I was trying to learn C plus plus with Turbo C plus plus compiler, but I couldn't figure out how the compiler was working. So I was just writing C sharp. Right. And like that whole journey, I had like quite to like assimilate that like entire like C plus. I felt like there were so many things, so much information. I didn't know the right direction to like take. And then I looked by the side and I was like, yeah, there's Rust and there's Go. Those languages were very early stage at that time. People weren't even using it for production systems at all. Right. I was like, ah, Go or Rust, which should I go with? I looked at Go. I remember. Hey. <laughs> Yeah. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, let this be the last time. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, let this be the last time you disrupt Stokes on this podcast. Stokes, please go on. I've just been unconsciously giving punchlines. No, no, no. Don Jazzy, Don Jazzy has to reach out to you. They have to sign you. <laughs> <They're> a rapper. <laughs> yeah. So like I mean like I was like go or else I was like to be honest like and when I looked at Ross it it's it was more fitting towards what I wanted to like do like long term right Bo language is pretty early stage right 
And I was like, ah, I'm going to like learn this rust. And then like I started. Um, and I remember then when we were in class during because there was this one of our classes that we had in the labs then um that goes into break time. So I'll just be programming Rust in the class into break time. And I'll, during the break period, like I was still variety Rust till the next class. Um yeah, so that's how I started. Then it's not even the Rust book that was here. It was the previous book, and the previous book was so hard, kind of hard to understand. But um for me, the, I stuck with it. And another major reason why I stuck with it was because I I saw it covering up a lot of my knowledge gap. So I'll explain what I mean. Um, for those who go through computer science, right, like, especially in, like in a system like Nigeria, right, I mean, I was privileged to go to CU where I would say our computer science classes were um, kind of, it gave us like good, sort of good foundation, right? And, but like, as I started writing, there's so many things that I was like, that I didn't know that I was like seeing like threads, OS threads, green threads, like memory management, all of these things that I, all the apps or applications I was building before, like I never thought about any of these things. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm seeing how computers like really work, like on a low level, right? And it just made so much sense to me. And then I was like, no, I'm sticking with this thing. So. So the funny, the funny thing was that even some of my exams that I wrote in CU, I used to make references to so many things I read from Ross book. Like I think that operating system class, I like I was just like like those were things everybody failed. <laughs> I got that in that course actually. Oh, well, yeah. Of course, I, I, of I course like you did. C also. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Stokes got an A. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Like I mean, like I I was just learning all these things, and I started seeing so many of the things they were teaching us, like in class, making so much sense, right? Like, and I was like, no, I have actually have to stay with it. I think that was like the major reason I was like really passionate about. Like even back then in school, like I was like Ross, Ross, Ross. I'm like everyone's like, why is this guy saying Ross or anything? Like for me, I felt like I saw this was a language that had so much potential, and. Again, to mention, the reason why I picked up Bros was because I wanted to grow with the community. The com- it was still early stage, so I knew that um, C++ was already large for me to know everything that happened, but Rust is early stage. If I grow with the language, I would literally know the reason why so many decisions were made. And even now, there are so many decisions that where Rust has reached today, I know the reason why some of those decisions were made because I read through some of those threads and all of those things, and I was there why they discuss all of those things. Like, I mean, that the uh, online, like in terms of like written RFCs and all of that. So I saw that like as an opportunity to like grow. Even the first Rust meetup I went for, were just like 14. I was supposed to go for four loop, right? But with Awo and the rest, but I was like, no, I'm going for Rust meetup. And then just only me that went for the Rust meetup. And that was probably one of the best decisions of my life that I made um, going for that. You betrayed your community. You betrayed four loop. <laughs> like I mean, the Ross was is more dear to my heart than any other thing, right? So, um, but it was fun. I went for it. I learned a lot. Um, I didn't. And then I still didn't fully know the language. But like, uh, there was this guy I met there, Sheon. Sheon, we still talk like very well. And um, Sheon Lanlege, and um, he helped. Me. I was there. He was working on this project, building like a web framework in Ross, pretty early stage at that time, and. I was 
I collaborated with him on that. He did most of the work, obviously, but like, I mean, I learned a lot, like collaborating with him, doing all these things, and I was still like in school at that point in time. So like, it gave me that platform to like learn the things that school wasn't teaching me. Like I was learning from his language, so that's why like I was really like passionate about like every single thing about it. Yeah, and like over time, like I just. I just, I just find myself like unconsciously like telling people about it because I've seen how much that's helped me become a better engineer. And I remember having a conversation with someone I was like, someone was like, oh, you're the only person I know that probably considers like managing memory or this thing is not efficient or this thing. Um, yeah, um, with trust and everything. But I mean, I just knew what, exactly what I wanted. Um, also for like, how I was learning in Kodi. So I was already writing Rust even before Kodi, right? Um, the only thing is that I, I would say in quote, I pushed Rust, Rust. So I wouldn't say I pushed Rust, but I think I brought up like that conversation of Rust at some point. So I had this talk about using WebAssembly. Um, I gave that talk in Kudi, right? Um, basically showing how you can use, I think the title of the talk was why WebAssembly is next generation, right? And Actually, I feel people should actually listen to that because I explain a lot of things about like how JavaScript works, how JavaScript um, interprets the hot part, all of those technical terms, and how JavaScript does optimizations, even though it's not a compiled language. And then I connected every of those things back to um, WebAssembly, and I did a demo with Rust in WebAssembly, right? Um, and so like I gave that talk, and then I was surprised like. It was really interesting because like um, Dorian, which was a director of engineering, like I was really happy because like he brought up like some questions during the talk, right? And going into the next year, I heard from my um, engineering manager at that point that, hey, we are going heavy into Rust uh, in this new year. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm surprised, right? And surprisingly, we started using Rust. And, like we made like, it was really, really interesting. Like I learned a lot during that period, like we experimented with a lot of things. Kubernetes API, ZeramQ, building service discovery with ZeramQ and Kubernetes. Like I've, I've worked on all of those things during my stay in Kudi. So it was really, really fun. Yeah. All right, Tox, um, give us a little bit about, you know, tell us a little bit about what, I know, well, you've actually mentioned a number of things, right? But you said them right in passing in conversation. But what are some major things that you think Rust can be used for, and how do you think people can learn it? Like, how did you start your own journey? I know you did some research and all of that, and you also mentioned the book, right? But like, yeah. in your own opinion, what what do you think is like the best form of? Oh, see, if you're trying to get into Rust, this is actually how I would I would advise to get started. And you know, mentioned some practical use cases which people can use um, Rust. Like, what is Rust being used for mostly at this point in time? Okay, um, I, I feel that's a really good question. I think what I'll say is most times, especially people who start writing Rust, um, if you have the opportunity to write Rust full time, you see that you improve a lot in it compared to if you're just using it yourself. But the thing is, several times, you wouldn't just land a Rust job directly like that, right? And so I think one question also I would also answer would be, how do you like learn this thing by the side while like you're going through like your day-to-day job? Right, and using all of these resources and everything. So generally, I think the Rust book is like the best book. Um, um, that um, probably like explains Rust like very well. That's probably the engineering book that I know that I've almost finished. 
I don't finish most books. Right. Okay, I finished some books. But all of us. All of books. us. It's all of us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who, who wrote the Rust book? Um, Steve Klavnik and Carol Nichols. Like. Okay. I recall. We'll, we'll link it to the show notes. Yeah. Um, and there are like other interesting ones. There's um, I know there's one currently Black Hat Rust for people who are interested in like um cybersecurity while using like Rust. Really interesting book. I haven't read it. Like, I think I've read, like, the abstract on all of those kind of things. Um, and, like, basic intros. And I also follow the guy's blog post every week. And he writes, like, really interesting things. So, like, I'm really, like, looking forward to um, actually, like, reading the book at some point. There are still some other interesting Rust books. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, I think, I can't remember the name of it. Um, but I think it's, like, pretty much popular. And how it talks, like, about how to, like, write, like, uh, I think, Start backing applications like with Rust, so um, that's also like really really interesting for people to like read if they want to get into Rust. Um, I'm guessing like, you're a kind of like a book guy. You don't really watch videos. So I I disagree. So what I usually do is I watch videos first for concept, right? Okay, like when I say like I watch videos first for concept, right? And once Maybe I on, get on YouTube or something. Yeah, exactly. Once I get a general idea of how this thing works, um, then I go into the book, right? And then read, right? So I'm reading from the point of I have the basic idea of how this thing works. No, I'm sorry. Okay. Right? (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my... I've warned you. This is the last time I warned you. (laughs) So, please, don't mind him, please. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So you mentioned um, cybersecurity just now. Are there other things you can probably apply it to? Like, oh, yes. you know, maybe web development as well. Because that's like, yeah. that's like big boy in Nigerian tech ecosystem. Oh, yes. I mean, it's... Um, so the thing is, I will, like, it really depends why you want to use it for, like, web and everything. Like, for example, Lumnovo, my company here in Munich, right, we use... Um, we use Rust for our backend apps, and we also use Rust for like some other things, like um, yeah, but like majorly we use Rust for like our backend application, right? And sometimes when people ask, like, or when I'm interviewing some people and like they mention something like, uh, why did you guys go with Rust for like building your backend? But, like, I like this one is not serious. <laughs> no, 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 not really. It's a very good question. It's a very good question. Like, why would you go for a language that has Deep learning calls to build your backend, right? I mean, you have to consider hiring the engineers, finding really good engineers for those things, right? But there's something I read. I read one day, and it, it made so much sense. These guys, they they moved to Rust, and they were like, if anybody actually decided to pick Rust on their own, they're most likely very good engineers. Because if ah, I actually I'm going like to go pick, I'm going to go and pick Rust. No, 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 no. no I'm, not, am, I'm not being biased. I am, biased. I am, I am going biased. to go and pick Rust. No, no, stop. Obviously, I know they're like other, like they're good engineers everywhere, but like this, what the person was trying to like say, if this person actually wanted to pick this, is because of that tinkering nature in this kind of person, right? In this person. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what makes engineers, engineers like tinkering with things, building new things, like trying to see how, figure how things work, right? And it was like many times, like they found out that whenever, uh, I'll try to look for the article and like share with you, like they noticed that whenever they, brought in like this kind of people or you spoke with this kind of people like 
they often found out that most of the time they knew way like quite a lot, right? Um, yeah, so like, I mean, you link all of those things like together and I don't know, I feel for me, like it's kind of like really good. So like when if people were to like ask that question of why did we go with trust? One thing I just like try to like um, explain to them is, um, I mean, right now, there are huge benefits because like our raw code base is very large um, and we have like lots of moving parts. And because we are a startup, there are lots of refactorings that we do periodically. I wouldn't say refactorings, but like we need to make some changes, add some features, right? And so Rust allows us because we know that once it compiles, literally it's going to work, right? Except like it's a logic error. And we have like quite a number of good um, test um, culture. So, I mean, most times, if we were to ship out things, we are sure that it really works very well, right? And not to mention that, or in terms of like when it's running, um, when it's running, it saves you like quite a number of infrastructure costs because, I mean, it has very low memory footprint, right? It's not consuming so many much memory. Um, the binary is very small. And yeah, because there's no GC, it doesn't consume so much memory, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, so like I try to like explain all of these things to them and like, oh, this is actually one of the reasons why we've been using Rust. We the decision was made unconsciously, but it turned out to be a very good decision for our company. Right. Um that's, and that's, 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 that's interesting actually. That's yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so, so um you said you mentioned that you guys use like Rust for the back end. Can mm-hmm. Rust be used for the front end, like browser side also? Yes. Using yes. WebAssembly, right? Yes, using WebAssembly. I like I'm a huge fan of WebAssembly. I'm not there yet, right? But I'm not feet. there at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a front end guy right now and I I've never I've never played with it. In fact, maybe I don't have the tinkering nature. Engineers out <laughs> there, forgive me, please. Forgive me. I'm sorry, no. I, I let oh you down. My God. <laughs> no, so like, so I mean, when you say a Rust can be used for the front end. So, how for let me just give an instance. How would you create a a div in Rust? Mm. Are you going to write each actual HTML? Okay, yeah. So in Rust, there, there are like already bindings. Yeah, they're already bindings. So there's something called FFI foreign function interfaces. So foreign function interfaces allow you to call functions or use values from basically basically call functions, right, from another language, most of the time C, right? And so um, there is a create called JSCs and WebCs, right, that allows you to interact with um, with the DOM, uh, with JavaScript APIs directly from Rust. So the Rust community, um, the Rust um, Foundation, I don't know whether I would say Rust Foundation, but like the Rust community has done like a very good job creating those libraries, which we call crits. And so um, calling into like any JavaScript function is basically a breeze in Rust. So it means Rust, so you're not really writing uh, HTML tags. It's like the way you use, um, so you use HTML the normal way, right? Yeah. And then you, you use the Rust for the JavaScript side of things. Okay, yeah. So the way Rust is, they are, like some really nice frameworks in Rust are picking up momentum, right? 
um, which you can use for front end, and you don't necessarily have to even write JS or anything or HTML. Like they, wow. you can use like the H tags and all of those things directly from like Rust. I mean, it's it's the same. I think it's the same thing too. So if the reason what I'm asking is more of like if you're writing uh Flutter, for instance, Flutter for for mobile, you are writing actual Flutter, and then it it transpiles to Android and iOS version, right? So. Yeah. But in this case, are you going to write any HTML or is it just pure Rust you write and then it, it converts to H1 tags, divs, and all that is by itself? Yeah, it depends on like the framework, but yeah, you write Rust syntax. Do you, do, you, do you know any of these frameworks off the top of your head that I would suggest? Uh, I'm not a front-end guy, to be honest. <laughs> like... <laughs> we, we know that now. We know that now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not a front-end guy, but I think the popular one is you. I haven't used it, to be honest. Right? Wow, talks. They're just busting head. Ah. The popular one is you, but you haven't used it. Oh, my God. I need to be given an award for detecting this things. <laughs> no, no, no. You're, you're terrible. You're the worst. So, we've said a lot about... Um, Rust, uh, like the usage, the usage of Rust as backend systems, low-level stuff. Uh, in terms of the tooling for Rust, how mature do you think the tooling, uh, let's say, system for Rust is? Yeah, so I think that's one of the best things of Rust, and I feel that's why many times when people come to Rust, they're like, they're JavaScript. Is, "Is it so easy?" So all you basically need, so most of the time. Like, for example, to install Rust, like, just a one-liner script, and it installs it, and you select, like, the toolchain you want to use, whether um, nightly, um, stable, or um, beta, right? And whichever one that you decide to use, it just installs it. And majorly, it installs all the things that you need, Rust Docs, Rust STD, Rust FMT, Rust Clippy, uh, what else, Cargo. Right. And just the same way you have like NPM, the equivalent in Rust is Cargo. And so people already build plugins for Cargo. So there's already, so if you want to like format your code base, Cargo FMT. If you want to run um, Clippy check, Clippy checks are like um, style guide, Cargo, Clippy, um, this thing, you run the command. Everything's with Cargo, like it's inbuilt. You don't need any other tool. Like it abstracts everything that you need to like do. Uh, what else do you want to do? You want to add a package. Mm. You write cargo add. It adds it. Like you, what you want to do? Mm. Like it's into like that same um, um, package manager and everything. You like it's it's just stress free, right? If you and every Rust releases new version every six weeks. If you want to update, you now use the original tool that you use Rustop. You just do Rustop. I think. Um, update, rest of update, and it updates okay. like all your different tool chains that you have for you, and you're fine. And it's backward compatible most of the time. Java, Java left, Java left the the group chat. <laughs> Emmanuel, please not now. Not now. Leave your leave your Java hate aside. This is all used by the community. There's no big tech corporation handling all of this. This is all community work. Is that what you're saying? So most of what has happened in Rust, right, has been heavily community driven right i'm going somewhere um obviously like most of the rust efforts started in mozilla like some the good the guys okay. that did like quite a number of like the 
early foundational okay. things was like Mozilla. So I would say Mozilla like were at the forefront of several of these things, like from their they rewrote their CSS engine called Servo in Rust. Like they did really interesting things like with Rust, oh, even building working on the language itself. The guys who wrote like the book were working initially initially at uh, Mozilla. At like, mm-hmm. Most of these guys were in Mozilla, right? But now there's now the Rust Foundation. And the Ross Foundation is now not comprised of like companies like Google, Amazon, I think Fiat Facebook, I think um, Huawei, and some other companies, right? And these guys fund like a project and the community is like growing. But like, I really like the, the way the community is like broken. So they have something called working groups. So each year, or after a certain amount of years, they review the working group depending on what they want to work on on the language. So like every year, there's the Rust survey where they, all engineers who are writing Rust, they ask them to feel whether you're even using Rust or you're learning it or this is your first time. So they want to know exactly the pain points of the language. And then okay. they will now draft out a plan for the next year, right, based on the survey response, right, on what they want to do. And then the working groups, will now adjust to all of those things. So the working groups, for example, they can have an async working group that's responsible for ensuring that async async um async support for ROS works very well. It might be like like probably like four years ago or so there was like the working group for the CLI for improving CLI experience in ROS. There was working group for different different things, right? So and these things are managed by community, like people like me and yours, right? That's um they're really interesting like all those kind of things so that allows you so, like right so Tox, are you saying that rust is in a is in a place right now where if you want to bet your entire company's future on it you can go ahead like you want to say look but we're, we're going with rust and in the next 15 years we're, we're going to be rust people right is it is it do you think it's in that spot right now yeah like i mean from firstly i've taken that bet um, I mean, like, I already bank literally every single. I won't say every single thing, but like, I like. I mean, I don't see myself even writing. If I were um, writing another language, like, I mean, mm. full time. Like, if I were to ever switch, that'd be like the major, major thing I would even prioritize. Like anywhere I go, because I mean, sure. this is really what I want to like do and be mm. very good at it, right? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. obviously, it's not good to like build your 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 career on like a particular language. Right, obviously, but like for me, like whenever I mention Rust, I'm not just talking about it as a language. I'm talking about it as the things that you expose you to. As a feeling, mm, the things that went. <laughs> the things that he exposes you to, right? Okay, like I mentioned, okay. I love my knowledge gap. Like, for example, yeah. like last two months, I was also there was this article I wrote um about like memory alignment and all of those kind of things and how values are arranged like in memory and all of that is probably on my object, right? And yeah, all of those kind of things, like those things, I'm learning a lot more about like computers because the question I ask myself is um, that that there's so many engineers, like if you listen to this podcast on the Metal podcast, right? They they have, they've stopped in a while, but like they bring in like a lot of guys that were really, really in the industry, like, and build a good number of like this hardware and like things that we're using today, firmwares and all of these things. And you speak with these guys, these guys have been in the industry for long. And the question I ask myself is when these guys go, 
who's going to have the knowledge that these guys have because these guys literally mm. built everything like today i was i was I've been watching a video on saga patterns and i discovered that the thesis the paper that they wrote for saga patterns was written in 19 something saga patterns is basically what allows you like do robots on distributed systems Wait, and this like 19 something before the web was even like really big exactly like if you listen to that podcast like you would see there are many yes, things what's like, the name of the podcast again um on, on the metal, metal. Yeah, but oh, outside would, would, um, to like many episodes, like, and you listen to these guys, like, many of these guys, they they mention like the engineering problems that they were experiencing, like, um, building all of these things, and like, you are impressed, like, this was nineties, like, and you're like, how did these guys literally? They are we are recycling everything these guys did, every single thing that we are doing, most of the things we are doing, these guys already wrote papers on them or experimented with them with even computers that had very little resources. And then the question I ask myself is, if these guys actually like go, how many of us, right, have this knowledge? Many people don't because we just only like stick with just um building just normal things and don't want to like know how computer works like on a lower level. Oh my God, Tooks, like, we're trying our best, please. No, no, no. <laughs> no, like, I feel like we should know how computers work, like on a lower mm. level, and which is like why um, I would say making a bet on like Ross, right, is mm. actually very good, both on like mm. your career and everything, because you will learn a lot more. And secondly, yeah, yeah. companies are already investing heavily in it. Like there was this report about majority of the um, of the I think vulnerabilities. I don't know if it's vulnerabilities that Microsoft experiences, right? Are uh, often memory related kind. Is it memory related kind of thing? But can easily could majority of them could have been avoided if they were using language like Rust. And like now you see the Linux projects already considering it, like even in writing kernels and all these things. Logs, Rust has already been factored in. Or you want to mention Amazon Firecrackers that they use now to power their serverless framework, or is it Cloudflare that they use um, Rust to power their own mm. um, serverless framework? And they can put up these things in very minute seconds compared to like other serverless mm. frameworks, um, other serverless like platforms, like and there's so much potential in like the language. It's it's solving a very key problem that C and C plus plus doesn't solve, which is what yeah. memory safety, right? Uh, memory safety and basically allows you to be able to do all of this. Um, um, does does thing. you sorry? Does it also prevent memory leaks? Yes, obviously, obviously. It's handled every of these things. <laughs> No, with what talks are said now, with what talks are said. Yeah, yeah. So, talks, this, this actually, in fact, you have me sold. After this, I am going to go and look for a Rust course start. Um, but apart from that, what do you think? Go and buy it. Okay, okay. Okay, <laughs> sorry. I'll buy the book. I'll buy the book. I'll buy the book and the book as well. Anyways, <laughs> so what was the community like in the tech system, in the Nigerian tech system? And what, what do you think it's like if someone was to join the community? Because community is actually very important. Most of the reasons why people quit stuff very early when they start is because there's nobody that is giving them ginger. So in the Nigerian tech system, what's the community like? Is there um, a link or a channel, a WhatsApp group or something that people can join? I don't need to know WhatsApp group. I don't know. Yeah. So that's the funny thing. There, we have a Rust WhatsApp um, group. So you guys, please Rust. Emmanuel <laughs> we we have a Rust WhatsApp group and it's very effective. Like I mean, it's really good. 
we're like, let me check. We're like probably 100 and something in the group. Yeah, you guys should move to 208 participants. No, we we've actually discussed at some point. No, you yeah, want to so keep it. You want to leave some urchins out. I feel you, man. I feel you. So, like, I mean, we've been considering like um, we're going to hit the limits. We are 208 currently, right? Um, people in the group. I think the limit was doubled. Ah, if that then that's really nice. Really, has it doubled? I sure. That was ahead. Uh, let me Google it. Okay. Yeah, but like I mean, there's the Ross community currently, and it's growing. We've had like some impressive meetups, and also like online. Yeah, it's meetups. now five two. And oh, oh, I also forgot to mention there's a Ross newsletter, right, for Nigeria, and it's actually featured on the original Ross news, um, the this week in Ross, and it's a monthly, um, it's a monthly newsletter. So like, it's really interesting. Like, I would say speaking of momentum, like. Even down to today, people are active on it, like people asking questions. And I'm really happy because a lot of people are like learning like this thing. I like I'm always excited when people like join the group and like or like they're here and they're learning a lot. I'm like, yes, exactly. That's what the language is meant to help you do. It's meant to help you learn a lot, like and things that you wouldn't necessarily like have learned, like you get exposed to like these things, right? Because I feel like it's very important for us in the Nigerian community to have this knowledge because I think I've mentioned this like several times. Like, we we as a community, which is why I'm not like huge guy about like all the whole Twitter hives and everything. But I feel like the guys who actually doing a lot a lot of work actually the most lucky guys I've ever met, right? And many of yeah. and so we need to move from that point of just being consumers. I know yes, people will say we are not consumers, but at least my own standard, we are still consumers, right? Um. We're still heavy consumers, like until we start building things that other people begin to use, like outside, like we build softwares, we build solutions that other engineering teams use, right? And like imagine it, I'm I'm really happy like things like um chakra UI is coming up, right? But like we still need more of those things, like we need low level things, we need more of like people who break the barriers of like computing, like from Nigeria right now. Um, most people don't do that. While I was in Kudi, I was privileged to experience that because I saw like some really good tools that we built in and that I feel like if we really open source this tool, right, it would have changed a lot of things, right? Um, but when, when I was in Kudi, I know one of the major things that influenced like our culture was, um, I mean, they were really, they were engineers and like, these were really, really good engineers and it shaped a lot of things, which was why we could be able to like do those things. But, I wouldn't say Nigeria is like the ecosystem is like there yet. So we need to like go out and like learn these things, challenging concepts, complex concepts, go out, work for teams that build big stuff. Like, I mean, for example, like uh, currently at work, I've been doing a lot of compiler related tasks, right? And I mean, if I was probably, um, and now I like, I'm kind of like the, the particular aspect of like description and everything. I, like, I mean, I would, in quote, I would say, like, I, I did learn most of, like, development and everything, right? And me writing, like, this language, in quote, it kind of, like, sets me up to be in that kind of environment, to have been doing this thing, like, full time. And the goal is, I, so, coming from Nigeria, I knew that I was a backend engineer, but I knew that's not what I wanted to, like, really do long term. Like, learning this thing by the side, right, it gradually brings me towards where I want to be as an engineer. Mm. I feel like, 
it's it's really essential for people like in Nigeria to like learn these things. I mean, not everyone's going to write trust, obviously, but like people should like challenge the status quo. Like, don't just settle with just using this tool. Like, try to know your tool deeper. Try to like even people who write JavaScript, maybe don't know how JavaScript works. Like underneath, how the compilation works underneath, and why is JavaScript fast, even though it's a scripting language, and other scripting languages are not fast. People don't really know why the language works that way. Right, so people actually have to go down, figure out all of these things, and this is an idea for a new episode. Actually, (laughs) (laughs) thanks, thanks a lot, talks for you. You're actually right, you know, because I mean, if people knew some things, some things that you know deeper than the regular, you know, JavaScript right or the regular programmer right, I think it will actually enhance um their work. Right. Like, in fact, if they faced some certain bugs, they wanted to ask, oh my God, why is it not working? You know why it's not working? Because it's not supposed to work. Right? So, I mean, it's interesting that you actually bring this up. Like, it's something we should actually discuss. Yeah. So, uh, lastly, we talked a lot about, like, Nigeria and how consumers, you know, uh no no shading no, us no. from left and right. <laughs> I mean I'm Nigerian too, so I'm shading myself too. <laughs> so do you think that Nigerian companies should adopt um Rust? Like we adopt Rust. Is it going to do you think it's going to be uh a good driving force to make the ecosystem generally like much more uh knowledgeable in computing? Especially so at the stage that we are at now. Please yeah. take note that not a, everybody's a JavaScript person right now. Exactly. All right. So adopting Rust would mean they will have to find Rust engineers. And, you know, what's your take? How do you think that's going to work in your opinion? So, I mean, it's, it's the same way even any any team anywhere in any part of the world would consider, should we write, should we use Rust? And Rust is not ideal for every situation. And it's very important to like know that, right? Um, so you have to weigh the pros and cons. and what value does using this language bring to your team? So in Nigeria, I mean, most people who are building startups, right, you want to iterate fast because of, like, the kind of, um, the way, like, the ecosystem is, right? So obviously, Rust wouldn't be that kind of, it wouldn't, for most cases, it wouldn't be, like, a wise decision. Why we're using Rust in Kudi was because of what we were building at that time. We were building, like, a core finance application at Wind, and, a transaction volume like grew like by how many percent like within a short period of time and we we're hitting like quite a number of bottlenecks right and so we knew that we needed to like build this thing again and we needed to build something that would scale even as we 10x or 20x right so that's the reason why we're considering rust you get so i mean for most cases like you, most companies, I wouldn't say that it's a base decision to like use Rust. But like, I mean, mm. it's, it wouldn't be bad if people try out things in Rust. Like, I mean, mm. it would help you as an engineer. I feel something that companies should do should be setting like some time apart for engineers to just hack around and build things. I feel a lot of mm. companies don't do that. Most already. Nigerian companies don't have the time for that. All the resources. So, so. So now that's the that's the thing I feel like a lot of people haven't haven't um like gotten like um I feel like one of the things that that's going to help us 
as an ecosystem is we need to build a culture of building challenging things, right? We need to build a culture of not just building products, but building challenging things as engineers. Like, for example, imagine you, even though it's once in a month, right? And you say that this once in a month, we are going to um, hack and, and build things right, that, that are really like new or something. Like, for example, I really enjoy like encoded that every month we had like this uh, inside our and engineers came and engineers talked about like different things. Like I learned a lot, like how we drove down our, our um, infrastructure cost, like me talking about web assembly, people talking about interesting things, someone talking about Haskell, like those things helped us as an engineer. It was not every day, right? But I was really happy that they gave that time. You get like learn those things. I feel those things are going to like help us. Like it wouldn't be bad. And also, I'm, another thing I'm also looking forward to, I'm looking forward to a deep tech company. What I mean by deep tech is company that is heavily advanced in like um, technology, like what they like, they're like, they're like doing, like, for example, let's assume it's um, a cloud hosting company um, or uh, basically people who build. Cloud hosting company. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Google hosts, but like them. nobody hears so much about them, right? Like, I mean, imagine someone from, imagine there are companies like in Nigeria that build all these kind of things that other people use outside, like cloud hosting services. And the internet is a beautiful place. I feel like the internet has provided like such kind of passion for people to like build all this kind of thing, irrespective of like location and everything. So I'm I think, really- I think you're talking about the, the outputs of a, a particular process. And I think we, as a country, we can focus on the process. The process of churning out these things is not easy and it's something we don't even have at all. We're even lucky to be where we are as a tech ecosystem, right? Uh if, if when we think about like a lot of a lot of the output we currently have based on help from outsiders, like from the internet, help from investing, help from mm. um trainings and stuff, right? So the process of churning out what you just talked about um involves a lot of parts like having good investors having an environment that allows us to like that motivates people enough to kind of solve problems experiment a lot of things are needed in this ingredient and it's that's why when somebody actually does it it's celebrated like it's a very special thing you know because it is for someone to be able to still come out with something like that in an environment and lack of process that we currently have you understand so Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it means we well, have a lot, of, running a lot vibes. of work. Lot of work <laughs> to do to some of those things. First, turn mm-hmm. from consuming to producing. I mean, Peter Obi yeah. also mentioned, and that's what he wants to do. I'm not, I'm not it's, saying it's, he votes for anybody. Not a political though, podcast. Not I'm a just saying, podcast but he's right. But no, but he's right in saying that we we need to move from consumption to to production because without production, we eventually all the money that we think we have we eventually finish. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, sorry, sorry, just to chip in, but I feel we have to like start. Like, I've met some really interesting guys. Like, for example, the Rust community, the, um, there's this guy called Politoplab, which Sheon Alige, the guy that ran the first Rust meetup, is doing. And do you know what he does? Like, every week, these guys come together and they've been breaking down a lot of blockchain concepts. So, if people don't know Sheon Alige, he's currently a principal engineer at, um, um, I think, Composable Finance. Yeah, Composable Finance. Right. It's not Nigerian. And yeah, it's Nigerian. She won't and they right. I don't no, want to talk to you about it. Is that is that a Nigerian company? 
No, it's not. It's in Berlin. Yeah, he was formerly at Parity, and Parity builds Polkadot. So if you know Polkadot, like the popular crypto, and he did a lot of work on Polkadot and um, on like this or Substrate, I guess. Yeah, Substrate. And if there's anybody that's really influenced like my engineering journey, I would say it's Sheung, because like I saw this was a guy that 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 embraced the ability of reading reading things and growing as an engineer. Like I knew, like from the time I've known like Sheung and everything, right? Like this guy's really been passionate. Like he was the first person that talked. Probably he that hosted like the Ross Ross meetup. He posted on Naira Land. Like and even then. When we're all learning, this guy was miles ahead, right? Mm. And all of these things, like, and he learned several of these things by just reading online and like building things. And I can still keep mentioning guys that I know that are building other things, like the guy that was this simple lang, um, like a like this programming language that someone built. He's a Nigerian guy, and like I met really smart guys working on those things. And now there's this other guy, Upcipher, right? That um, I also That's like. Funny, yeah. You most likely know him, right? He was previously at Andela also, right? And these guys are building like amazing things that I feel like um that challenge the status quo of like engineering. And if there's any common trend I've seen between all of these guys is that they started building difficult things, even though they didn't have the knowledge. For example, how does the programming language work? I'm going to build my own. For example, how does um like for example, I don't know even App Cipher. He has this his, um, web assembly. I think runtime that he built, right? And it's really nice, right? Like these guys challenge the status quo and go out and build all these kind of things, even though they don't have knowledge about it. People need to be intentional about building those things. Like for me, like every single time, I, I'm I'm like, the reason why I don't write articles is because I want to write articles that I want to look up to, right? Mm. And I've started like writing those kind of articles, even though I've not like officially published them, like probably like my blog or everything, right? But I don't just want to just write normal articles. I want to write those kind of articles that I see that other engineers. You don't want to write articles that start with ten things you must do as a. <laughs> no, no, like no. Stop appreciate. Those no, are not I have articles just, like that. No, that your audience, your audience is different. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, obviously. But like, I mean, I'm looking at it at. From a an ecosystem that has to step into like the next Bro, stage. That has right? to go, yeah. You understand? Exactly. Like we need to write those kind of articles. We need to go out and study those kind of things and know those kind of But I think um one way to spearhead it is to magically grow um the scale of problems you have in the ecosystem. So as long as a company doesn't have a scaling problem, they will not have scaling solutions. Do you, you get what I mean? So mm. We have like a, we kind of like have like a, let's say a glass ceiling of number of customers that we have in Nigerian tech ecosystem. Like, so we are kind of comfortable in not having a billion users, for instance. So until we get to the point where we have at least for scaling problems, until we start having those kind of scale in terms of customers, maybe mm. that we should expand internationally and get more customers from other countries, right? Until we get to those points, it will be really difficult to have more people than just like a few unique guys, you know, becoming like solving difficult problems just on their own. Because if they solve the, the difficult problems just on their own, right, uh, it's not as useful as when a group of people working together do it. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. 
It means we need also need to chase. We need to chase the bigger problems. So solving the actual difficult problems in Nigeria would lead us to actually getting ahead in terms of technology. So yes, uh, yeah. kind of agree. is the mother of invention. Yeah. So so we've come to the end. Yes, we've come to the end of the episode. Uh thank you so much to to Chuku. Anytime we come on the podcast, I mean, there's a lot of things to learn, new kind of passions that we get, you know, new fire. Exactly. So it's it's really amazing to hear you speak about things. Sir. When when Tochuku is on this podcast, he's actually the host. He's the one that hosts it. Us we just listen. <laughs> we're the guest. <laughs> when Tochuku is on the show, we're the guests. Tochuku is the host. <laughs> no, we're not the host. Like I mean, I really enjoyed like this. Like I mean, it was really nice like conversation. Like I mean, seeing everyone's like perspective on like this thing, and yeah, I feel like conversations like this are very very important. Like people mm. having these conversations like frequently. And yeah. so that we can like, constantly reassess because I mean it's very easy to like get comfortable with um just the norm and especially like when you're earning good amount of money you just like ah more right but like yeah. uh, having these kind of conversations it constantly reminds us why we're engineers right like yeah. what makes us engineers is we excited about problems and not just any kind of problem deep problem. So thank you once again. Um, I mean, I, I actually don't know what else to say <laughs> because this episode has been the longest and I think probably surpassed the last one in terms of number yeah. of listens because this is a really great episode and it's kind of like, yeah. no matter what background you are, you are from, uh, I think you pick a, a thing or two from um, the passion that you talks with. So, yes. All right. See you guys in the next one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Remember, we release new episodes every other Wednesday and you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you would love to connect with us, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Inside the Techos or subscribe to our newsletter and shoot us an email at insidethetechosystem at gmail.com. We love hearing from our listeners. You can follow the host on Twitter as well, uh, Chuka at CYDOGO and Emmanuel at Olalua underscore 98. All right, see you in the next one.